and welcome to Tech Live. Stephanie Christopher here, Chief Executive of the Executive Connection. Tech Connect CEOs, executives and business owners to the world's largest business leader network. Back in the studio once again, it is my wonderful pleasure to welcome Stephanie. Thanks, Leah, and it's wonderful to be back in the studio once again. My special guest today is in his own studio in Perth. Jaden Rogers, the CEO of Linear Clinical Research, is joining us today. Jaden has worked across a diverse range of entrepreneurial experiences, spanning biotech, and is passionate about innovation within healthcare. The particularly interesting thing about you, Jaden, is that you assumed the CEO role of a research organization in November 2019. So, Jaden Rogers, welcome to Tech Live, first of all. Thank you, Stephanie. It's a pleasure to be part of Tech, and, and uh, it's a real honor to be able to speak. Yeah, so I should mention, and we'll get to it later, that Jaden is a member of our community of the Executive Connection. So, uh, doubly good to have you here. So in 2019, when you took on this role, you had no idea what was coming down the line, did you, in clinical research? <laughs> no, we, uh, yeah, I entered the role and as all, I think, aspiring CEOs do, we had had our 100-day plan and uh, had a, broad, a bold strategy and, and thought I had a grasp on what the year might look like. And interestingly for us too, this was our, 2020, our 10th. Uh, year anniversary for Linear 2. Right. So we had a really exciting, exciting year planned out um, and then uh, COVID hit. So yeah, that, that changed things. Um, but uh, it also presented a range of challenges and opportunities as a, as a new CEO. So let's just start with that as a new CEO and then let's get on to the, the opportunities for Linear and the work you're doing now. How was that as a new CEO having to really um, switch strategies from what you were doing to what you're doing now? Yeah, it was a really surreal time. And I know it was such a challenging time for everyone. Uh, I think what helped me through that period was having a background in startup and, and small business where you had to make decisions um, and you had to make decisions without information. I think that was one of the challenges early on in the COVID period was there was so much happening. There was so much news. And, and you had to make decisions. And we were fortunate in making a number of decisions that were, at the time, maybe controversial, but on in reflection were were the right decisions. Um, and what were, we were they? Fortunate in essentially locking down. We, we were fortunate. We, uh, we had early insight into COVID, I think, as well. Mm. So um, our, we have a China lead. Uh, we'd invested in China as a market for three or four years now. Mm-hmm. And our China lead happened to get stuck in China very close to Wuhan early in, in the year. And I still recall her WeChat message uh, warning me that they, they discovered that there was asymptomatic spread of this new virus, right. which was really concerning that this, this spread, it could spread without symptoms. So it was very hard to then track. Uh, we that, that message came through, I think, in, in early Feb. Um, at that point in time, we all thought it was maybe contained to China, but that was very worrying. Um, we also had a client base, our biggest client base in the US, and there mm. was a number of people that I followed there. And so, so we made a decision that this was a real threat early, and we're fortunate to have having uh, a number of people in our team, medical and non-medical, who have background in public health. And, and we moved pretty quickly to limit access to our clinic, um, limit access to anyone who had travelled from the high-risk areas at that point in time, but then broadly having travel bans into our clinic, 
and we moved very early to incorporate uh, COVID testing and building our own capabilities around that, um, which at the time was it was quite early to do this, but in reflection, it, it put us in good stead. So I think having that entrepreneurial background of trying to solve problems really helped. And a pivot. Think, uh, you could pivot. And pivot. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> pivot was a word that we used. Yes. Uh, yeah, that helped uh, navigate through that period and the bias to action. So they, they were the things that helped as a CEO and then ultimately having a really good network. So um, I'm very fortunate with a board, an outstanding board that we have at Linear who who are very accessible, having the network of both the group, uh, the tech group mm. and others. And then, yeah, just really what helped me within our business, I think, is being able to go back to some of those core values and what your purpose is. And as a medical research organisation, that really harnessed both myself and, and the team. What a great insight as into your uh, induction into the CEO role. You were saying before to me, Jaden, that early on you thought you were going to be doing clinical trials on patients who had COVID. Is that right? And so you would have been doing clinical trials on treatment methodologies for COVID. To a degree, yeah. We um, Early on, uh, when it really took off, we worked uh, we were based in the part of a major hospital complex, the Charles Gardner Hospital. And when we were meeting with the other stakeholders and the emergency response groups, we were all looking at uh, what we would need to do in the event of the same situation that we saw in Italy occurring. Mm. And so we were lending our digital expertise to the management of COVID patients that would be coming into the hospital. We're looking at how we could redeploy our clinic to, to ultimately uh, support either other patient groups or potentially COVID patient groups. And we're gearing up with a range of scenarios to contribute to the fight. We, we early on put our hand up to say we need to support the healthcare system and we need to be part of the solution here. Um, but fortunately, yeah. by the time we were in position with these systems, uh, the COVID cases stopped coming through. Mm. Uh, and it was quite remarkable in, in Western Australia anyway, we had, uh, there was a very rapid response and, and whole Hospitals and wards were set up as they were across Australia and and, and prepare, uh, preparations were in place and then the patients stopped coming through. Um, we had a number coming through from cruise ships that came yes, to Western Australia. Um, however, yeah, fortunately we didn't have to support the COVID patients uh, with research. However, at the same time as a medical research organisation, we were looking very closely at how we can contribute more broadly and, and, the, and the idea of supporting vaccine development yeah. um, was high on our radar. And, and I wouldn't say we pivoted, but we really focused our energies on that. You're working with a Chinese pharmaceutical company or it's a Chinese pharmaceutical vaccine that you're trialling, is that right? That's right, yeah. So we very quickly, when we realised that COVID was going to be an issue, thought we need to uh, lend our weight to vaccine development. And yeah. uh, Australia's got the best medical research system for early phase in the world, I think, and that's well acknowledged. Um, in our case, we've been doing this for 10 years and we've worked on some of the biggest breakthroughs, um, particularly in cancer, but across a whole range of areas. And we've got a, an organisation like Linear in each state in, in Australia. So we've got the, the infrastructure uh, and the system to do research really well. Mm. Uh, so, so we put our efforts into identifying a potential vaccine candidate that we could work with and contribute to. And fortunately, because of that investment in China over the last three years, we had very deep relationships and networks in that country. Yeah. And we identified a particular vaccine candidate that was very interesting. Um, it, it was on, based on an established technology platform. So mm -hmm. it had been uh, used in humans before in clinical trials. 
it was a safe approach for a vaccine. But also they had partnered with some of the biggest players in the world. So they were the first group that uh, GSK partnered with. Yep. And GSK, the biggest vaccine manufacturer in the world. They were funded by uh, CEPI, who's leading the, the fight to get uh, vaccines accessible to all countries. Uh, and they also partnered with the world's biggest contract research organisation. So, so we saw it as exciting technology, global mm. partnership, and leveraging our, our connections, we're able to have a really good discussion and then uh, we're able to work together on the phase one study, which is currently running here in Perth, which has been very exciting and, and, and touch wood uh, to date's gone very well. And in, in discussions to add to the later phases of, the, of this particular vaccine it's, as well. It's really good and very exciting about Perth. Question though, so Perth has done well or been lucky or whatever, you know, things, things are going well in Perth. So if you're doing a vaccine, bear with me while I give my kind of my version of it, that you're injecting something into your humans who are trialing this that will prevent them from cat, from contracting COVID-19. How are you going to test whether it's successful when there's not a lot happening in Perth? If you were in Collins Street in Melbourne or in other places or certain hotspots in Sydney, It'd be fine. You'd say, okay, go and sit in that restaurant and see if you end up with COVID. How's that make any sense at all in a state where there's very limited cases? Very good question. Uh, firstly, Thank yeah. you. <laughs> uh, drug, <laughs> drug development um, drug development is inherently complex. It's, mm. it's probably one of the most complex processes that you can undertake. It, it typically takes 10 plus years, $2 billion to get a drug to market. And in order to establish how a drug works, there's a number of critical steps that you need to go through. And the first step before you actually test if a drug works is to test that it's safe and understand yep. how that drug works. And, and, and typically you do that in healthy people. You don't go into that disease state. Yep. Uh, and that's where Australia became really important for COVID research, not just in Perth, but there's, um, there's studies running in every state now, mm. um, which shows how, how important Australia is. And we're recruiting what you'd call healthy volunteers. Mm. So the first aspect of discovering a new drug, you test it in healthy people. You understand uh, what the right dose level may be. You understand what the immune response is. And you really try and understand how that drug works so that you can then set up the next stage where you then go into those patient groups, uh, in that case, COVID. So, yes, you're absolutely correct. Uh, we, we don't have any COVID touch, touch wood and hopefully mm. we won't have too much in Perth, albeit things can change rapidly and we we all have seen what's happened in Victoria, but we are in a position to do the, the first part really quickly, really well, understand these drugs, and then make sure that when they then go and test them in the patient groups, they know the right level of, um, they have enough knowledge to be able to set that study up to be uh, pragmatic, um, but also to try and get data as soon as possible, because ultimately we're trying to do something that we've never done before, and that's get a, get a vaccine on the market in 18 to 24 months. Uh, the quickest that's ever been done before is about four to five years. So a couple of things there. With SARS, with the SARS vaccine, that was one of the problems, wasn't it, that the side effects were, weren't were good or the, the vaccine proved not to be safe. Is that right? Yeah, there's, 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 there's a, um, a condition, I suppose, where you can actually cause enhancement of the disease um, with a vaccine. And, and dengue is another uh, infectious disease where they mm. saw that. So, so yeah, in, in, it's not common, but it's a, it's a very, very risky outcome mm. in the event that it creates an abnormal immune response from mm. that vaccine, which can then enhance the impact of that disease. Um, and so that, that was, yeah, seen in a number of um, development programs for SARS, I believe. 
And it's one of the real key uh, things that we look at with any vaccine development. Fortunately, there's a number of models that they can do in the preclinical work to really mm. understand the, the risk of that. And, and I think the majority of candidates in development now have demonstrated that it's low risk of that enhancement. Um, but that's, that's exactly why uh, you need to do the phase one studies, why you need to do them in healthy volunteers and why it was important to do it in a place like Australia in the event that if you did see that, which fortunately we haven't, it would be less of an impact than, say, doing that in the US or uh, Europe where then those individuals would be exposed to COVID. Thank you. So then my second part of my question is back to that issue. So you're testing that the vaccine is safe inherently on healthy individuals. How are you going to test, though, whether it will protect them from contracting COVID if there's none kicking around? Yeah, that'll move into the next stage. So typically you'll do phase one, which is a safety study. Yep. You'll do that on a small number of people. So that'd be in the order of a couple of hundred people. Uh, once you understand the safety profile, once you understand the immune response and, and the dose that you wish to use, mm-hmm. you'll then move into what you'll call a phase two or three study. Um, it's typically they, they blend these two phases now, and that will go into tens of thousands of people, often across multiple geographies. And one of the biggest challenges that the drug companies face is choosing which countries to go and run those trials in. Um, But you you typically will uh, choose countries where uh, COVID is endemic or uh, the cases are rising rapidly. So uh, in the case of the US companies, they're unfortunately doing that in the US now where Mm. there's lots of cases. Uh, A lot of companies will be looking towards Latin America, uh, South Mm. Africa, and these areas where COVID is on the rise. And then you would uh, run these trials where a proportion of people would get the vaccine and then the proportion would get a placebo or a non-vaccine, uh, a non-vaccine product. And, and then essentially you're waiting to see uh, what the differences is between those that contract COVID and those that don't and the severity of that disease. So that's a bit of an, the unknown. And actually that threw a real spanner in the works early on, I think, with the vaccine from Oxford University in England. Yes. They, they were hoping to get uh, some insight into their early phase, their phase one on how it how it reduced the impact or reduced the incidence of COVID. But at that point in time, they actually got their numbers down. So I don't think they were able to get that level of information. So it's part of the variability and the challenges of drug development, but it also shows where we need to have a really coordinated response across geographies. Uh, and I think in, in the vaccine development, and this is something I'm very, um, I think, passionate about, it's really important for nations not to get focused solely on what they're doing, because in order to, for us to fight this, we need to look across geographies, particularly in the research, but also in the manufacturing as well. Of course. Okay, that's really interesting. That also explains why it takes so long because to develop a vaccine, and even when you're talking about fast-tracked to 18 months, potentially, because you heard about Oxford, and then it's, okay, well, if that's good, how come we're not all having an Oxford vaccine? Or you hear about this and say, oh, that's great. Well, Perth's doing it. They're really smart. We'll be ready to go by Christmas. But this is phase one. So you've got to do phase two and three and then review everything that's happening along the way there, I guess. That's right. Typically, you would do it sequentially. You'd do phase one, phase two, phase three. uh, And then you wouldn't start manufacturing until you're at least into phase three and confident on the outcome. So what they've done now is compress all those steps. Mm. And uh, the phase one studies um, are, are typically phase one in what their outcomes are but you're trying to get as much data as you can. And then they're moving very quickly into a phase two, three program. So we're compressing the clinical development. Uh, there's a risk-benefit uh, ratio, 
ratio that we've got to consider there uh, and make sure mm. that we're not increasing the risk. And that's really well governed in this industry and there's a lot of engagement with regulators and, and the physicians to make sure that we get that balance right and the safety protocols are in place. And then the other thing is there are, the companies are starting manufacturing at risk. So all the major companies in the vaccine space now, and you hear about this in the news with Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson & Johnson, they're all manufacturing at risk. So they're all investing in plants. They're investing in the raw materials. The challenge, interestingly enough, speaking with some of the manufacturers, is not so much on the production of the raw product or the vaccine, but it's other aspects of that supply chain. Uh, it's, it's the aspects of having enough vials and, and syringes and the mm. little rubber stoppers that you put into those vials. Interestingly, that is one of the big logistical challenges with manufacturing and then distribution where, whereby vaccines are often kept at a temp certain temperature range um, and then there's a shelf life issue as well. So very complex process and they're doing it at risk and they're trying to do that whilst they uh, do the clinical research. And so you're really having to learn on the fly um, as a, a, I suppose, as a, a vaccine developer at the moment. You were you're having to become very uh, multifunctional uh, in your approach. And you don't think of it, do you, all the little elements of supply chain to, to get something to market at scale. So what have you had to learn on the fly? Oh, wow. I think everyone's learned so much. I think it's one of the great – well, not one of the great things, sorry. I should say one of the, one of the opportunities out of COVID is we've, we've learned a lot about how communities respond. We've learned a lot about um, – public health. Mm. Uh, we've learned about the importance of public health and the relationship to the economy. But personally, what have I learned? I think I've learned a couple of early things that I learned was the investments in culture and innovation really shine during the tough times. Mm. Uh, we were fortunate as an organisation to be able to pivot and respond because we invested in innovation and particularly digital and mm. we were very digitally enabled. So as a healthcare organisation, we were able to send 60% of our workforce home within a week and we'd been cloud-based for three years and we'd been digital natives in some way for, for, for some time. So that process was remarkably efficient, um, particularly in clinical research where there's so many protocols that you have to face. So innovation, the investment in that over the preceding years gave us the ability to pivot, allowed us to operate as well. We would have been able to keep operating even if COVID had a really got hold because we could do so much remotely and we could work with our partners in the world in a digital space. Um, clinical research is still a very paper-heavy process, unfortunately. Mm. There's a lot of writing on paper, entering into databases. So we've worked towards moving that step, removing that step. So innovation um, helped. And then culture. Yeah. We'd invested heavily in building a culture that was autonomous, that was digitally um, enabled and I think a very high trust organisational culture so that when we had to move quickly, uh, we were able to delegate a lot of tasks. And so we worked in a very, very distributed model of having various, we had a working group, but we had various teams working on different aspects from building the work from home policies through to getting supplies and PPE. And we just worked in a very agile methodology that was really efficient and on First glances, I think it could have looked a little bit disorganised. Yeah. However, I was, I was blown away how it all came together. And it was because of the, the cultural elements that we put in place prior to that that we could just move. And I was just blown away by what we achieved in a short period of time. As we're a staff, and when we did our culture surveys and we, we fed back from our staff, it was really interesting to hear that personally it had been really tough for most people. Um, 
COVID, but as an organisation, they were also thrilled on what we'd been able to achieve. And I think that was just a result of that effort and investment beforehand. So it showed the, the value of investing um, in the good times to make sure you can weather the bad times. I think that was a big thing that came through for me. Really the final thing was just um, bias to action and, and making decisions and making decisions on on uh, not having the full information available, being bold to maybe make a decision, but also knowing when you needed to consult. And uh, I heard our, our our premier talk about that, Mark McGowan, recently. And um, for, I, I can't imagine how hard it's been for the national and federal leaders as well in making some of mm-hmm. these decisions. And and it is it, it, sometimes a decision, a bad decision, is better than no decision. Is mm-hmm. something that's often said. And I think this is a case where yeah, a bias to action is important, but it's a very tricky. Um, fine line that you're trying to walk and and particularly for any business owner in this environment it's, it's really tricky it is tricky i heard pat lencioni say the other day that in battle the the rule is do something don't just stay put you have to do something and that's that bias to action you're talking about so let's get to tech and your group how's that um been beneficial for you through this period yeah tech's been I think it's been one of the things that's actually been really important. I think I actually one of the what I found about tech, one of the the early learnings I had was that I wasn't alone. Yeah. And as a new CEO going into um, the role at the best of times, I think every CEO and we talked about this yesterday in my tech group has that imposter syndrome mm-hmm. um, moment. And 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 so certainly I I uh, found early on. As a, as a new CEO, um, going into what I felt was such a, an amazing company, um, we're a high growth company. We tripled in size in, in just over three years and we did quite tricky work. That, that feeling of being, uh, equipped to get through the good times, but the bad times and to hear other fellow tech members talk about their journeys, their stories, their anxieties was just, it was almost like therapy yeah. <laughs> in, in, yeah. in, a, in a way so to realize yeah. that you're not on your own. Yeah. So just having that network was was really it has been really important. Having a great chair, um, mm. proud to be part of Tech Forty One. Uh, yeah. I'll give a plug to Lynn Harding. To Lynn, she's chair. a wonderful been, chair. Yep, been wonderful as as a as a tech chair and also as a mentor. So just having someone to listen to your yeah the challenges and the opportunities to work through those, bring a different lens on it, has been been really helpful. So I think it's that network that's what's been really important for me and then obviously the, the ability to hear different um, frameworks and the guest speakers and and I still just recall very vividly some of my favorite tech speakers and Cameron Swab really um yeah. hit it with me incredibly but incredibly moving yeah oh you're a friend fan, so <laughs> <laughs> there's probably a bias there but his approach of authentic leadership which yeah. struck a chord with me Matt Tice and disruption and, and looking at business that way was really um Fantastic. We had Dan Collins recently and, and just looking at high performance. So just getting to hear different methodologies has been helpful and, and I try and take that away. And the final thing I'd have to say is just using the tech methods with my senior leadership team. Mm. So, so I've started doing that and, and the check-ins and uh, some of the frameworks and, and trying to take those learnings that I get exposed to and, and uh, deploy that into our executive team. That's been really successful as well. That's, that's good. Every executive team of a tech member is nervous when they come back from a tech day, aren't they? You know, uh oh, what's what's Jaden heard? What's Jaden heard this week, and uh, what are we all going to be doing tomorrow? Absolutely, yeah. And for someone like me that has a, 
has maybe a, a short attention span and loves a new concept. <laughs> it, 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 that, that's probably something you do have to watch is um, that you, you, you don't try and do everything at once. Yeah. yeah. Here's something no, shiny. Let's do that. Yeah. It's, it's having yeah, a plan around yeah. it. Yeah. It's interesting because what we've seen in our membership right now is some businesses are thriving um, and some businesses that have, were doing one thing and have shifted to making something else, you know, producing some other product uh, are going gangbusters and other businesses in tech are really struggling. So how's that for you being in a group of business owners and CEOs who are having a diverse experience right now? Yeah, that's, oh, that's that's such a good question. I think um, I was fortunate enough to, at one stage. Actually, I'm just going to jump. But I was asked to speak on a on a panel in the US um, for clinical research, and it was really challenging because we had to talk about what we're doing here in Australia. And at that point, the US was in the heart of its, particularly in New York, um, pandemic response. Yeah, and we had to be so cognizant of talking about what we were doing, but have that empathy for those people millions of people over there uh, and I still remember how tricky that was of trying to be proud of what we're doing but be really respectful that they just had a battle on their hands I think uh, within the tech group yeah it's been it's been really hard actually in some ways to see the impact that uh, other businesses have felt and it, it creates what it what it has done though for me it's it's crystallized that those of us that have an opportunity and those that potentially are a winner have an obligation. And I think we have an obligation to do what we're doing to the best of our ability. And in our case, that was a go out, invest in the research um, to fight COVID. And that was in vaccines. We've got another three studies that are COVID therapeutics that we're starting. And we actively threw everything at that because we knew that would help other businesses as soon as we could get on top of the health impact. We also then realized, okay, we've got to su support our suppliers. And we've looked at our payment terms. We've got to support our community and get the message out there. And so it just crystallised what we had to do and really the obligation we had. I really felt it was an obligation if we were on the right side of that fence to do everything that we could. I was blown away by the resilience though and, mm. and what I saw from some members that were in, some, in a trickier situation was the resilience, how they handled that. Um, but also what I saw was people thinking how do they pivot, how do they overcome it. So... It was a real, yeah, it was challenging, but it was inspiring at the same time, hearing the varying impact that COVID had, has had. And even, even to this point in time, just seeing the, the situation in Victoria as well, uh, I really, I think it's important to consider that we're all in it together. Mm. Victoria is really in the thick of things at the moment. And, and I consider this is, a, this is a national problem, not just for Victoria. This is, this is for us all to fight. And I feel the same way when we see other businesses. So in, and, and where there's opportunities to uh, invest in programs that will support your other businesses, um, we've got an expansion project. So I was really thrilled when we looked at that. That was a local design and construction firm and that would create local mm. jobs. It means that you've got to bring forward these projects, I think, and we've got to, got to invest. I think that's the other thing. We've got to invest. I think we've got to... Um, the, other, the other aspect too, which I learned from my fellow tech, members was uh, we've got to think differently. I think the rules have changed in business now. And I, as someone in the health space, I don't think it's going to go back to normal no. within the next couple of years, to be mm. honest. So we've got to think differently. And I've, I've learned that from those guys that were really in the thick of things and, and on, on the other side of the fence where it wasn't so good. One more question about tech. And thank you for indulging me. 
What would you say to someone who says, well, tech's great and I really want to be part of it, but I'll wait a few months till this is all over? What would you say to that person? Great question. <laughs> such a good question as it's well. It's my I job, Jaden. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I love it. I, look, I think it's one of those things. You got to. I, I like that thinking as an entrepreneur in a sense and that I'm big on the lean startup in a way and I'm mm-hmm. big on build the product, have the MVP, mm-hmm. deploy, learn, and then iterate. And in a sense, I think it's the same. You could forever sit and say, is the timing right? Is everything going to be right? And you and you won't know in some ways. I would suggest if you've got the ability, join, get involved, understand, learn, and then go. So start sooner because the sooner you start, the more data you'll get, the more insight you'll get that you'll know if it's right or you'll get the benefits from it. And I think in some cases, the timing may never be right if you mm. have too high a bar. But if you've got that ability to essentially uh, invest in that or take part in it, I'd, I'd strongly suggest do it sooner than later. Mm. I think the other element too is that I always consider um, the COVID situation, the framing we had was it's, it's, a, it's a health challenge, it's a psychological challenge and it's an economic challenge all wrapped up into one. And the psychological challenge is as important as anything. So by joining and building your um, network by learning new ways of attacking problems, I think it certainly helped the psychological fight, which ultimately I think helped the economic and the, and the health fight as well. What a lovely way to wrap up uh, with the three elements of the COVID challenge. With the pivot you've led in your organisation as this has unfolded and for helping us understand where phase one fits in in a vaccine trial and and where phase two and three may well be undertaken. So that's very helpful. And for you as a person and a leader, Jaden, to understand the value of having peers, uh, of having other people and diverse peers, so not people just doing exactly the same thing as you, just with similar roles and similar challenges but a completely different context. So I will be watching with great interest uh, you and your career and also Linear and, and how this trial goes naturally. We all have a vested interest in this. But what a, a great conversation and I'm so appreciative of the thought and time you've put into this. Oh, thank you, Stephanie. That's a great pleasure. And look, uh, uh, as you can tell, I'm very fond of tech and I really am passionate about medical research. And I just, yeah, look, I really appreciate this opportunity. The one thing I would ask, I suppose, of the fellow tech members and listeners is that we do, uh, we're in this together. We've got to support our folk in Victoria and New South Wales and wherever's next. But we've got an opportunity and I think it's just shown as a nation we are so blessed and uh, we can contribute to this and we can come out of this on in an even stronger position. But we've got to think differently and we've got to work together to do that. So thanks for that opportunity and um, I look forward to um, continuing the tech journey and, and, and listening to more podcasts. Oh, thanks so much, especially this one. Thanks, Jaden. Thanks very much. <laughs> thanks, Stephanie. So that's Tech Live for today. CEOs are in the business of making decisions and leadership is the art of execution. I'm Stephanie Christopher and look forward to talking to you next time. Mm-hmm.